Coming up, we have another topical episode of Board Game with Education. I chat with Kim Tolson about using board games to develop soft skills. I'm also joined by co-host Dave this episode, and we have a follow-up discussion based on the conversation that Kim and I have. Before we get into the episode, I want to let you know that our board game store is live. So a lot of the games that we talk about on the show, you can find in our board game store, boardgamewitheducation.com. You can also find a lot of complimentary learning resources with the games as well. These are bonus resources that come as a downloadable digital file as a bonus for your game. So you will have lifetime access to these resources to be able to use these board games at home or in the classroom for your learning environments. So again, be sure to check out the games we carry in our store, boardgamewitheducation.com. Now let's get into the show. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. All right, so welcome to our topical-based episode. I'm here joined with Dave. Again, first off, Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dustin. Glad to be back. And I'm excited to have you on because, well, a couple of reasons. We're going to play a game that is very much related to what you do outside of game-based learning and games for learning. Um, And maybe you can chat a little bit about that, as well as the webinars you're doing for games for learning. Because you're doing a couple different things. Uh, One, the Student Affairs Job Search podcast. And also, you have something that a lot of our listeners are familiar with if they've tuned into a previous episode you're doing webinars based on game-based learning or games for learning could you share a little bit about those before we get into the show yeah sure so um the site that most people on your show does intend to know me for is for university xp um so on universityxp.com i talk about uh game-based learning using games gamification and game-based learning for teaching and learning either in person or online Uh, And as of this recording, uh, tomorrow I'm hosting a webinar called Creating the Player Experience. Um, And for that webinar, I'm really focusing on what exactly the player experience is and how do us as designers and educators um, best create and use games for teaching and learning to support this experience. And this episode is really unique and interesting because the game we're going to play is related to another website I run called The Job Hacker. And on, on the Job Hacker, I focus on helping other educators uh, land their first time full time jobs um, as higher ed administrators and student affairs professionals. So that game is all about helping people um, like interview for jobs, find jobs, apply for jobs, navigate salary negotiations, and everything else. So um, this game we're going to play is an interesting combination of those two realms. Yeah. I, I- I knew I wanted to reach out to you because of your experience in both these areas. And I think one thing we talked about is Fun Employed is the game we'll play at the end. And it's definitely a game that can be used in English language classrooms and maybe public speaking settings. But I wonder if you could look at how you can leverage games like this for building soft skills, whether it's for job preparation or job interviews. I don't know. You're you're the expert here, so... <laughs> Uh, what I think is really interesting about this game, Fun Employed, is that it's not like 
Um, maybe some other games that a lot of listeners may be familiar with, um, which I like to call ortho games. Um, those are games that have some sort of um, point or value system, in which case, you know, like one or multiple people can win at the end. Uh, Fun Employed is more about the experience of playing. And um, well, what's interesting is that basically the players get a certain set of characteristics uh, for a particular job or position, and then they need to come up with a particular reason why they would be the best person for that job or for that position or anything else. So it's uh, interesting is that the game utilizes the structure of like kind of like an interview about making the best case uh, approach to why you deserve this job. And, you know, a lot of the times when you go in interviews, that's exactly what you have to do. Um, this game takes that concept and puts this interesting wrapper around it, which is, you know, both funny and also kind of ludicrous, but has some really great game space learning applications, which is why I'm excited to play. Yeah, awesome. And we are going to play that at the end of the episode. And we're going to first chat about or listen to Kim and I chat about a conversation based around using soft skills or developing soft skills through games. And that's definitely something also related to finding a job, right? Soft skills are very, very important for finding a position or working. (laughs) All right, let's listen to that conversation. We'll be back in just a few minutes or actually maybe about 30 minutes. All right, so I'm joined with Kimberly Tolson from Tabletop Tolson. I'm super excited to chat with her today. We're going to talk about using specific skill-based games for learning. And before we get into the topic today, Kimberly or Kim, I guess you go by Kim online in the board game space. Would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? No problem. Uh, Thank you, Dustin, again for having me today. Uh, so yeah, my name is uh, Kimberly Tolson, Kim Tolson, Professor Kim, uh, on my uh, YouTube channel, and I have been playing games kind of my whole life. Um, there was a game that I played growing up, other than the kind of regular ones that everyone's played, like Purchasey and Monopoly, um, but we played a game called Safely Home. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of that game. Have you? Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard of it. What is? What kind of game is it? Safely that? Home is a game where you have cards that you draw as you try to get home safely from said place, and it's just to teach kids how to deal with strangers and how to identify danger. <laughs> and so, like, okay. even a game like that, I was like, "Yeah, let's get safely home." <laughs> so, I think for me, like, competition has just been a, a really big part of my life in gaming, and that also extended to sports. Um, but I, I've just been a gamer. Had the Atari original Nintendo. Had a Game Boy. Had all the cool stuff to, uh, you know, trick out my Game Boy, the magnifying glass with the uh, light, and uh, oh, it just it just kept going. And then um, when I met my uh, husband, then then just boyfriend friend, uh, he introduced me to the board games that I play now. You know, Euro games and things that are just not the American 1980s and 90s games. And that just opened up a huge, huge world to me. And since then, I've just never looked back. And so games, yes. And uh, I immediately started, I guess, naturally incorporating games into my teaching. I've been teaching for a little over 15 years now in um, various colleges and universities across the U.S., 
And gaming is is just such a, a great way to introduce students to those concepts, those skills um, that you want them to incorporate into their thinking and then into the products that you're actually grading. And so I've just kind of made a big old life out of games and education. And I just love it. That's super awesome. And you mentioned the magnifying glass on the Game Boy. Did you also have the Nintendo trackpad where you kind of ran on the trackpad to play Nintendo track and field? Yeah, I did not. I did not. I had very little, but what I had, I, I, mean, I valued. I was like, yes, got to have this. And my parents kind of got it. I, I think it doesn't, nothing in my life now as an adult is surprising to them based on my life as a kid. My sister kind of went away from all that. And I just said, no, more games. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. And before we get into our topic, I kind of want to ask you about your experience using games for teaching. I know in my experience, I didn't consciously go out and research, oh, there's this game model that I can use, right? So how did you first get into or decide to use games for your teaching? I think it started probably when I was playing a game and I said, my students would really benefit from this game as I played it. And then I just took it into the classroom and tried it out. And one of my most successful games and my favorite lesson to teach, since I generally teach entry-level college students with writing and uh, composition classes, is a game called Concept. And that by far is the best game to teach structure and organization. And so when I'm trying to teach them what an outline does and how the outline benefits your essay and how it gives your essay clarity and structure, we talk about concept and I just write on the board, here's your thesis, here are your support points. And you use all the different colored stands to match the ideas that group together. And it's just, they love it. They play a game, they're engaged. And then afterward, they're like, whoa, I think they have to put it together. I, I try to tell them, but it activates all of those, I don't know, all those learning skills, particularly structure. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't think about using concept that's really cool because we have that on our site and that's a game that we don't have learning resources for yet so that's really cool yeah awesome so let's define or look at the topic of skills like soft skills or skill-based learning what do those look like because when i imagine maybe soft skills or skill-based learning i think of things like communication or things that develop maybe your emotional intelligence. What are some examples of that? Well, I agree that some of those, I say more obvious soft skills, communication, cooperation, critical thinking, problem solving, um, definitely are the biggest soft skills that I hit in my Professor Kim series when I'm teaching how to use games in the classroom successfully. Those are a lot that come up. Um, a couple others that 
maybe people don't recognize or um, understand the value of that still kind of fit in that same soft skill category um, are things like um, creativity. And it's hard to, you know, how do you evaluate creativity? I mean, like that's, that's probably the hardest thing uh, when I expect people to think outside the box. Um, and that's kind of one of my criteria. It's, it's challenging to get them to kind of press themselves. And so creativity, um, I think a really wonderful game for that is Dixit. And it asks students to not only work their clue-giving skills when it comes to communication as one of those soft skills, giving a clue that is easy enough to get but hard enough to not have everybody guess it. So they're also using a lot of um, language and communication skills, but they're also required to be really creative in their approach. And creativity generally is rewarded in that game. I think a newer game uh, that does a very similar thing is Pictures. Have you had a chance to try Pictures yet? I haven't. I've played Dixit, and Dixit's excellent. What is Pictures? Pictures is a game that requires players to replicate pictures that they see in a grid that everyone can look at, but all they have to use are really weird items. So one player gets a handful of rocks and they have to replicate a picture with rocks. Um, Another player has two shoestrings that they have to then do the same thing with, you know, replicate a photograph. Um, Somebody else has cubes that they put in a three by three frame and they only have certain limited colors. And of course they only can use nine cubes. And it's just fascinating to see how players get creative with their weird objects. I mean, someone else has uh, like children's building blocks. And so you just have to stretch your understanding or your idea of what you're looking at. And then of course you want people to guess this thing, as you can see, it's like five stones uh, is this picture over here in the corner. And if people guess that that was the one you were doing and it was, then everybody that was involved gets points. So it really, really stretches people. That's really awesome. I mean, you talked about creativity and then that game kind of brings it all together. You're looking at cooperation and limited resources to come up with creative solutions for a problem. That problem being, how can I show this picture with rocks? (laughs) Absolutely. And then another, again, kind of under undervalued soft skill is um, open-mindedness. And I think when you're guessing, you have to be really open because you're looking at all of these possibilities of what this picture is representing. And you cannot close something off simply because you say, well, it can't be that one. And once you do that, you're limiting that from your choices and you might be completely wrong with your gut instinct or with your original judgment. And so really being open and saying, it could literally be any of these photographs, even though I at first think there's no way it can be this one. So yeah, I have to take a step back and be really open. Right. And that kind of reminds me of the game Code Names. I know maybe oh. most people aren't familiar with that, where at least when I give clues, I love to try to get as many words as possible. So I'm usually the one that's taking like three leaps from the original clue. So it might be the clue might be lava and I might be thinking... Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of a clue off the top of my head. But maybe the 
Mariana Trench. I don't know why that came into my mind, but it's maybe a deep part of the ocean, but ocean is another clue. But I also want them to guess lava, which is kind of connected to the platonic tectonic plates in the earth. I don't know. So, yeah, I think it's important to be open about those um, clues and then also look at different perspectives of players, too. Absolutely. Uh, seeing somebody else's point of view is a big step and something I want all of my composition students to to really work on, develop, and hopefully expand. <laughs> Uh, and so I think any games that work there, yeah, that opening up to a different perspective and understanding somebody else's point of view, so valuable. Just another kind of s strange thing that maybe we uh, just don't value or recognize is uh, integrity. And that definitely falls in with the cooperation, you know, the teamwork when we play games and when I teach games in my classroom, it's never about who can win. A lot of my games are um, cooperative or, or team-based or um, really, really low stakes. And so it's more about exercising concepts and, and just practicing um, a, a specific lesson as opposed to I won and you all lost and I'm better than you. <laughs> uh, and so integrity is a, a good thing to teach when things are low stakes because then it trains people to always play um, according to the set of rules that you're given to learn those rules and to apply those rules. And so if you see that somebody didn't take a card, you just say to them, oh, you need to take your card. You know, um, it, it's not this, ooh, they didn't take their card. So now I've got an advantage and I'm going to win because, you know, they weren't paying attention. And I just want to say, well, when we play games, you always just help each other out. You know, if somebody forgets something, then let them know. And, uh, you don't, honestly, the way I feel from my part when I'm playing a game is I don't, I don't want to win because I saw something happen and then just like kept my mouth shut. That, that just feels a little, a little greasy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a, you know, just process. Right. Right. And that's another interesting idea is looking at the magic circle, which is like agree to set upon rules within different game groups or looking at that and also your classroom, right? You have kind of unwritten rules and maybe some that are more conscious that you need to be sure to explain when you start your semester. Um, yeah. And I think more so now than ever, I'm, I'm constantly being, um, you know, confronted or challenged with, uh, hybrid classes, remote teaching, Zoom instruction, and um, when when we make those shifts and when we change the style of instruction, I sometimes forget that I need to be more explicit with my communication in general, but particularly instructions or parameters or etiquette or things like that that just slipped my mind and uh, everyone. We're all doing our own thing, and uh, the world changed this year, so we have to adjust accordingly. Right. It's a very different world when it comes to communicating online versus in person. Yeah. So what would you say in general, if we play or look at almost any board game, what are some soft skills we can 
likely see that we would develop just by sitting down and playing a game? I think the biggest thing for me is adaptability. And I kind of focus on that because it was brought to my attention um, kind of early on in my relationship with my husband when we played games and he taught me. The first game we ever played together was Lost Cities. And uh, after that, it was just all the games. But for me, Lost Cities was uh, kind of revolutionary. But um, I lost that first game pretty hard. I didn't, I didn't necessarily get it. And I never played any kind of game like that before. And the more and more I play games, the more I realize that what I'm doing every time I play a brand new game is I'm required to be adaptable. I have to learn how to change my strategy in-game, mid-game, in the very beginning. Once I'm learning a brand new system, I might say, oh, well, it reminds me of this game, this piece, or you know, this aspect of it is familiar here. But you are learning something brand new and just that process of always learning something, which I go through all the time. I go through that a lot. I learn a lot of new games has made me better at that. I, I've, I've become more adaptable. I, I can change my strategy um, based on all the factors that I'm looking at. And I'm actually kind of good at it. And I didn't know that until he told me. And that was, that was kind of the, the moment for me. He said, after two or three years of being together, he looked at me and he said, you have an intelligence that I don't have. Your, your intelligence to listen to the rules and then apply them right away. I can't do that as well as you do. You have this kind of analytical brain that, that just knows how to play a game the first time and like win all the points. <laughs> and I thought, I didn't know that was a, an intelligence. I didn't know that was an ability or some, something that I could like have. But over the years, it's been a, something that I, I kind of have fostered even more so. And I really appreciate the fact that I know, well, if my plans don't work out, I can change and I can adapt and I can still be successful. I just need to make sure that I have an open mind and I can adjust uh, based on what my current situation is. Right. That's awesome. I think games definitely give you, especially, I don't know, maybe especially board games. I don't know. Maybe someone can argue this point with me, but they have, I think because they're so slow moving and you kind of have that time to process your moves in your head while another player is going. Can't really do that in video games. It's a lot quicker. I don't know, but there are probably some games that help you self-evaluate and then assess and then change, right? Change your strategy based on that kind of process of evaluating where you're at in the game, what you need to do to to get better. Um, and I'm sure games definitely help you hone those skills. They do. And and students, you can see it. When you bring something new in and you say, I'm going to teach you this thing, they have that look of everyone's look when you sit down and have to learn something. You know, it's just hard. And I try to tell them, yeah, this is going to be, you're going to learn something. It's going to be tough. Uh, first games don't count. If anyone has seen my channel, I have Barb. She's a character and she is uh, speaking for every person who's ever played a first game, particularly with people who've played it before. And I, I think it's just first games don't count. They never count. We don't remember them. <laughs> we throw the sheet away and nobody knows 
what that first score was because we all have to learn the game and then you can start playing with it. You can start uh, messing around with it. You can change your strategy. You can kind of see the game anew once you've learned just the basic rules and how to play. Yeah, and that made me realize that's a huge barrier, I think, sometimes to getting new players into the hobby. They, a lot of people that aren't familiar with board games kind of are like, oh, no, I don't want to learn how to play. Like, that seems like a chore. And that's especially true when you bring maybe a game into your classroom, either for the first time or a new game. What Do you have any advice for someone, or can you think of any ways we could help mitigate that uh, I guess that fear of learning a new game in the classroom or with new players? I think a first step, if it's the very first time you're bringing a game into the classroom, you should try to make it a team-based game. And I mean, you still have to moderate and make sure that everyone's involved, but it does take a little bit of that pressure off individuals making choices and being responsible for those choices. Now, if you really want to make sure that everyone is doing and saying something and contributing, you can then change the next game up to an individual game. Like uh, we talked about Dixit earlier. That's the first one that came to mind. You're, you're responsible for your choice, your card choice, um, every single round. And if you're the, the person uh, who is active, then you have to come up with the clue. Um, but I think one of the first things is just make it a cooperative or team-based game. And then people think, oh, this is going to be okay, right? If I need to lean on my friend, I can lean on my friend and then I can see how it's done. I mean, some people like to learn from watching. They don't like to get their hands in, you know? Some people are hands-on, some people are just observers. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, It makes me think back to my experience. I think when I first introduced a game and now I'm kind of regretting it a little bit, um, I had had the hindsight of, not playing the game so I could help people. It was a secret role game where everyone has a secret role and then they need to act on those secret roles. If you do that game and you have no moderator to help people understand their secret roles, it's very tough, right? A lot of them probably want will shut down and not want to play. But having a team-based game, that that's going to be awesome because not, not only do they have their team to kind of help them, but then there's that learning process, maybe if you're using a game-based learning activity as well. And I think maybe they can spend a little bit more active time, like active brain time with the skills that you're wanting them to learn as opposed to performing. Right, right. There's the internal process of learning instead of mm -hmm. the, yeah. I guess, being on the stage. I don't remember. There was a guest that talked about that on the show. I'm going to have to go back and listen, but the open openness to learning versus a closed off approach to learning and you're in those different zones at different times and that was episode 114 with jake michaels be sure to check out that episode he talks about tips and tricks for teaching board games oh interesting so um one of the games that i i had um i tried this particular semester was slam words and it's a really, really straightforward, it's three letters and you have to come up with words using those three letters um, that's, that's randomized in a little um, kind of expandable cube. No, what is that? Like a, <laughs> like a cone uh, and you can, you can crunch it down and then it kind of slams them into place. And it's uh, something that works your problem solving and critical thinking 
but I made it a team game because I wanted like my small teams to work together. And I also spread it out over the course of uh, one class period and played the game three times. And the game is like, you know, you can make it a minute to five minutes. So they're not long, but we were focusing on financial literacy and scholarship information. They were going to have to watch a 30 minute lecture on Zoom. (laughs) And so I said, well, let's play this game first two times. The first time you're learning it, that that's just my, my, my whole, um, you know, idea of separating this to three games, first game, learning it second game right afterwards. Now they know how to play. They're going to get better. They did. Then I had them watch the lecture. And at the end, we had a third round where points were uh, of more value. And they had the vocabulary and the notes from the lecture to create the words with the slam words. And their scores were out of this world. I mean, their teams just, they just kept getting better. And I think a learning it, applying it, and then specifically honing in on the vocabulary and the language that I was wanting them to pay attention to regarding financial literacy. I I think that was a successful lesson, Uh, but the teams really helped. That's super awesome. I think uh, it's, I like your approach to the first game being a learning game. It's, it's really awesome too, that you have a game that's quick to teach and quick to play, right? So you're able to kind of go through those three modes of the game. That's awesome. Do you have any maybe other games that target specific skills that you can think of? I do. Yeah, this is another one I tried just this semester, and I thought it was really successful. And so because I did it in the classroom, Um, then it's going to become a Professor Kim uh, because I saw really just how well they took to it. Um, When I Dream is the game, and I used it specifically for um, active listening and teamwork uh, as one of those, you know, communication. You can kind of fold in several of those soft skills along with it. But my goal was active listening uh, versus passive listening. And so... When I Dream... I kind of know the game. Do you mind just explaining it just really quickly? Sure. There is one dreamer who closes their eyes and then a card is revealed that has a name of something on it, like bed or table or something like that, a canoe. And uh, everyone clockwise from the dreamer will give a one word clue to get the dreamer to say the word, except for there are secret identities. (laughs) And there are essentially two teams. There's the fairy team that wants the dreamer to get it correct. Then there's the boogeyman team who wants the dreamer to get it incorrect. So you have to actively listen to the people in your group as your eyes are closed. And you are listening for people who give clues that sound like they're leading you in one direction. And if someone gives you a clue that sounds fishy, they might not be on your team. And so you have to sift information, you have to categorize, and you also have to memorize the answers that you give as the dreamer. Because at the end of the night, which is the sand timer runs out, I think it's about a minute, you then have to recall your dream and remember all the words that were spoken that you guessed during the night. And you have to do so, they suggest in the book. And if you want to make this about storytelling and memory, 
you can really emphasize that last phase of the dreamer section, trying to remember all of the words that they guessed correctly. That sounds like an awesome language game. I mean, I think you might need to modify some things based on level, but it sounds like there's a lot of listening comprehension and vocabulary mastery you can kind of build into that game too. And it it actually reminds me of a game from a guest that we'll have on the show in the future. I recently recorded the episode with him and he, he, uh, he designed nerd word science and monstrosity and tattoo stories. Those are his games. And have you seen monstrosity? I don't think so. It might work for active listening. What you have is pretty good, so it might be hard to match that. But it is a great game for descriptive writing and vivid detail because the Ooh. game revolves around you being a paranormal witness. So you witness this monster or alien, and you have 20 seconds to look at the card and memorize what the card looks like. And you put the card down and you explain it to the, I guess, detectives what it looks like and so you have to give very descriptive language based on your memory of this monster everybody's drawing the monster and then everybody reveals the monster and you choose which one you think is closest to the card um and then there's an extra layer of like uh, i think um everyone gets to choose vote on the best drawing based on the card too so there's kind of some extra strategy a level of strategy there where it's just not based on the memory of the witness. But uh, we played it this last weekend, and it was really, really good. And you could tell the people that were really good at describing the monster and the ones that were not. I, I, won't, I won't throw under the bus who was pretty bad, but if she listens to this episode, she'll know. <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess maybe we can talk about one last thing before we move into the game is what can we think of any games that can replace developing different skills. I mean, we kind of talked about a few where if I guess the example of the active listening, that's really helping improve that skill. Um, and you use the one, was it Word Slam, where it's building upon that lecture. Is there any other games that we can use through the process of playing that game skills are being developed? I think so. I think so. And You know, like I say, I play a a lot of games and honestly, I've always got this part of me. My attention is always on what, you know, what am I learning? How am I learning? How am I practicing skills? And how could this possibly translate to one of my classes? And, And mostly I teach in the humanities. And so I try my best to balance my professor Kim for those who are in different fields um, I, I hope, I mean, I'd love to get some feedback on that, um, uh, coming from more of the, you know, social sciences, hard sciences and, and math and things like that. Um, so my example is going to be, uh, vocabulary and spelling and, uh, it's letter jam. I think letter jam is probably one of the best word games that I've played in quite a while. It's, a, a thinker of a game. You have to spend time. It's not a fast game and it's fortunately cooperative, but it requires so much while you're playing it. And I think because you're thinking the whole time, you're activating all of those vocabulary, spelling. Uh, those are the specific skills um, that, that apply directly to um, you know, composition and writing, but it also is the cooperation 
Um, it's the problem solving because you're trying to figure out what your letters are based on looking at everyone else's letters. Um, the critical thinking, I mean, you've got to to give clues. I mean, you can't just sit back. Every single person needs to, well, if you want to activate the free one, the free clue, which you should, everybody needs to give a clue at the table. And if I do that in the, the classroom, uh, I think that's because I want everyone to feel like they have to be engaged. And so it really emphasizes it just in the game itself. It, it forces everyone to be involved. But that, that to me is just a wonderful a wonderful game that really flexes people's vocabulary and spelling skills um, in addition to the other um, soft skills we were talking about earlier. Right. I think you mentioned it, it involves everybody in the plane and learning. I think that's super important when it comes to game-based learning. I mean, there are games that are more efficient at that and you don't mm -hmm. need a game where the entire time you're involved in the learning. But I think it's important that players and students aren't able to just check off like get on their phone for a little bit oh and no until it's their turn <laughs> if i were yeah. playing letter jam with someone and they got on their phone i would say hey buddy this is, <laughs> we, we need your attention like get off your phone <laughs> like come on right right <laughs> hey buddy who am i playing with i don't even know my friend's names <laughs> <laughs> you might have a friend named buddy <laughs> i'm like I'm so do you have any last things to share as far as looking at board games and building specific skills before we move into our game? Well, this is a, a recent lesson that I experienced in the classroom. And my lesson to anyone who's trying to use games in the classroom is don't be afraid to modify or change things or adjust and my example is I love Time's Up. I love Time's Up more than the world itself, honestly. I love the game so much and I want to play it every day, but I don't have enough friends to play that with. <laughs> and the problem is that there are, they're just very specific. Even if you get title recall, which is my favorite version, there are still specific titles of things. And if you get the original, they're names of people. And so what I've realized is that my students who are now 17 and 18, <laughs> sometimes younger, don't know any of those things. And so you can't play times up with them. I even, I even call for the ones that I think they'll know and they get them. They literally did this to me this semester. They got the cards. They looked at them. They're like, what's this? Oh, this is what my dad likes to watch. And I'm like, that doesn't help anyone. That's not a good clue. <laughs> and so uh, what I did was I, I kind of researched and I found the game Monikers. Oh, yeah. Monikers. Awesome. And, okay. So Monikers is, I think, a more culturally friendly, young person, uh, age appropriate game of Time's Up. And so now I'm going to try Monikers next as opposed to Time's Up. So even though I love the game, it's still the game. It's still the same process. I mean, it's the same three phases. But the cards are going to be, I think, easier for my students to relate to and get each other to guess. And so I'll still get the same benefits from using Time's Up in the classroom with um, getting to know each other, pulling people out of their shells. I just, I, I think there's so much to benefit from early on in a class session when they're getting to know each other. And so I, I kind of had a real not the greatest experience this semester when I realized my cards were just 
too old fogey for them. And so uh, for me, that lesson was, yes, I want to do this, but I also want it to be successful. So I'm now switching to monikers. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tuesday Night Games. They do a couple games and they also have a podcast or had a podcast. I think it's off the, well, it's still on there, but they've stopped recording. But um, they've talked about using monikers too. And if, I mean, you and or anyone else listening, you'd have to go to maybe your podcast and search Tuesday Night Games monikers. It's really hard to to search for podcasts, unfortunately. But maybe I can find it and add it. But they talk about using monikers in kind of that way. Or um, no, this is they talk about building your own monikers, which is something you might want to look at because yeah. he talks about doing that for like holiday games, holiday uh, get-togethers. Um, and so everybody's creating their own cards and there's a way to do it so where you don't run into your own cards, right? So you're not guessing your own cards. Yeah, I would look at look at that, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure how to do it. So <laughs> This is Future Dustin here and I did some digging. The title of that episode is The Ultimate New Year's Party. Use your words headbands. And that's episode 162 on the Tuesday Night Podcast. If you're curious on how to set up monikers to play with your home-brewed version. That sounds like a really great idea, though. Having everyone who's involved writing several clues that they would want the team to guess. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, yeah, I'm not, we, I did it once, but I didn't do it correctly. I kind of found like a workaround in the moment to, to make it work. But yeah, there's definitely a way to do it to where it's, it makes sense as a game and you're not, you know, it's not too easy for you to guess your own words, but I don't know how. <laughs> All right. And speaking of games, we are going to move into our game. And so stick around for just a minute and we'll come back with Kim for our game. All right, and we're back. So, Dave, what initially stuck out to you from that conversation? So, uh, the thing that Kimberly and I have uh, in common is that we both teach in higher education. So, Kim is a professor like me. Uh, we've used uh, a lot of similar games in the past. So, Kim, Kimberly talked about using Concept. Uh, that's a game that I've used with my students as well. Uh, at the beginning of this episode, we also talked about. Uh, using those soft skills to games, which is a, an article that I wrote about in the past about how we can use games, uh, particularly for adult learning. So I, I thought that was an interesting parallel in both of the ways that we think about uh, using games overall. Uh, Kimberly also talked about Dixit. I'd used Dixit before in my own practice with my students. Um, prior to us recording this episode, we also talked about another game I played called Pantone. Um, which is uh, similar to Dixit. I, I tend to like it a little bit better, but I think that particularly stuck out with me. Uh, and then I always, uh, I always have to make this distinction when talking about games-based learning, and Kimberly brought it up in this episode, which is that in games-based learning, you're using games as the medium for teaching and learning online. So it's not like gamification, where you're only using aspects or mechanics or components of games, just game game-like elements in non-game settings, but with games-based learning, you're using that game specifically as the medium to teach and learn. So I think I'm really glad to hear that Kimberly was able to do that with her own practice, and I'm really glad that um, you know we were able to connect and, and kind of share best practices overall. But overall, Kimberly and I have a lot in common about how we approach and use games for teaching and learning. Yeah, that's super awesome. And I think it's it's interesting that conversation around game-based learning versus gamification. I think 
it's still, I don't know. It's, it's interesting when people, cause I run a Facebook group, game-based learning, gamification and games in education. It's interesting to see newer members kind of go on this journey of learning what is game-based learning versus gamification. They initially come in there and they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have points throughout the semester and uh, there's going to be a leaderboard. And then hopefully people chime in and mention some pitfalls to do in some of those things. And then also exploring the idea of game-based learning versus these just points and badges and leaderboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always want to point out that um, there is no one best approach for any of this. It's just that gamification only uses those game elements alone outside in the class. So if you want to use points, you want to use badges, you want to use leaderboards, that's all gamification type stuff. But if there is a particular like board game or console game or digital game or anything else that you can or want to use for teaching and learning, that would be games-based learning. So I, I'm active in your group, Dustin. I try to give people as much advice and insight as possible. But yeah, that's one of those sticking points. People often mix, mistake gamification for games-based learning and vice versa. Right, right. And just to jump on what you said, gamification is definitely a strong approach in different learning environments. And I think there's a misconception that gamification can be very bad in education. But I don't know if you're familiar with Yukai Chow, and I've mentioned him a few times, and he's quantified or categorized different elements of gamification. We're already doing a lot of these things in our classroom already. Like the school I worked at had universities. So each university competed against each university, and they scored points um, for different like spirit week stuff. So that's very much what we're already doing in education. It's kind of interesting to, to see people's different perceptions of what gamification is, I guess. Uh, but I don't want to get too too bogged down into that because that's like a whole conversation, a whole maybe a couple podcast episodes. Looking that's at. A whole yeah, that's a yeah. that's a whole like maybe course. <laughs> um, so <laughs> when have you used any games in your in your teaching practice to kind of approach uh, learning soft skills or help your students develop their soft skills? Well, the game that I used most often in the physical class and when I was teaching in person was Codenames. Uh, it was a game that I had written a chapter about in the uh, Learning, Education, and Games Volume 3 handbook uh, published by Karen Trier up at uh, Marist uh, College. Um, so when I was using Codenames specifically for public speaking, it was that uh, the main learning outcome I was targeting was I wanted my students to understand that most of the times in language, particularly when it comes to public speaking, there's going to be a need for you to be as efficient as possible with your language and with your words. And what Codenames is really good at doing is that as the Codemaster, you need to be able to convey a lot of information in just one word and then a number um, indicating the number of cards that relates to. So I don't know if you would classify that as a soft skill. Of course, I think communication is a necessary skill, but that's one of the ways that I've used Codenames in particular for teaching and learning in my own practice. Right, and one one of the games that she mentioned too that I've used is Monikers, and that's um, you start the game, you get a list of cards, and you start the game. First, you can explain. Oh, man, I'm not going to be able to explain how to play the game because I only remember the second phase of the third round. I think the first round you can say anything you want to explain the card without saying the word, but I might be wrong, so I might have to re-edit that and explain that again. But definitely the second round, you can only say one word to guess the card, in the third round, you can um, like act it out. So you're working through the same deck of cards. So essentially, you're 
by the time you're on the third round, people are remembering the words from before and they can draw associations between what word you're trying to get them to guess. But it really works in kind of this mastery uh, focus of learning language. I, I had not played monikers before, Dustin, but but basically what you explained so far is exactly what game space learning is because you're using the game monikers in its existing state, so like right off the shelf, and you're using it in order to help your students achieve a specific learning outcome. So if you're looking for an example of game space learning, you definitely just provided one. So anything else before we move into our game, Fun Employed? Yeah, so one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Kimmer talked about uh, the Barb character um, and uh, being the explainer. Um, specifically, Barb is a character that uh, Kim plays for her YouTube channel. And I think that is a great example of just gamers. If you're not an educator right now, but you play a lot of games, specifically tabletop games, whenever you're introducing a game to your group, you, someone has to be the explainer. Someone has to be the teacher. And for my own game group, we try to rotate that role. We call them hosts. So if you're coming to a game group, um, we take turns hosting, and then you're responsible for bringing your game, teaching everyone else how to play, and then everyone else is going to play it. Um, if you want to get into the, the shoes of an educator, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to take something that we have mastered ourselves and we have to teach it. We have to explain it to other people. And what's really interesting here is that I think unlike um, some other applications of, of teaching and learning and education, what's really telling with an explainer for a board game is you'll get to know right away how well you taught this game to other players because if you missed like a critical rule or did something else or something goes off the rails you're going to definitely see for sure um how well you taught a game and you know it's okay to mess it up if you're rather new to board games or new to teaching but it's definitely something that you get better with the more and more you do it so i recommend that to any of your listeners out there that are just gamers but not educators right that's a that's a really solid point too so let's move into our game. We are going to play Fun Employed, and you've played this, you said, 2014 PAX East, so a while back. Yeah, a while ago. <laughs> but, and you kind of explained it at the beginning of the show. Essentially, you're going to receive four cards, and these are your skills that you can use to apply for the job. And then you have a list of 10 skills that you can trade one of your skills for. So it's kind of an, a way to help you be a little bit more creative in your explanation of your your experience i guess and then after you tell me why you're fit for the job i'm going to ask a follow-up question and then you're going to have to answer that question and then when this episode comes out i will reveal who i hire for the position and i will expect a phone call phone call back saying thank you for the the time and the time and consideration <laughs> all right so i'm going to paste these in the chat Welcome, Dave. Come in. Take a seat. Okay, so Dave, tell me why you are the best fit to be to fill our position as an astronaut. Okay, well, thanks, Dustin, for inviting me here today. I'm super excited to be here. One of the things I want to tell you I think makes me a really great candidate for the astronaut corps is that I'm always going to be hungry. So no matter what the mission is, what needs to be done, or where we need to go, I'm always always going to be the first person in line that wants to hop onto that mission in order to get out there. Uh, the second thing is that 
like anything in space, things have to be airtight. And I am an airtight individual, both in the cabin and with my lips. So if there's any secrets that we cannot tell any foreign entities, you can always count on me, Dustin, for keeping those secrets inside. Uh, the third reason is that I am an avid reader. I think the astronaut course started out with some of our best and brightest in order to launch them into space and with our career in space. So I'm constantly going to be reading about what we're doing, what astronauts have come before us and what we can do in the future. And then last but not least, this is more of a cosmetic upgrade, I would say, but my glorious mane is such that no matter what brochure you put my face on, my hair will always look glorious. So that doesn't is why I think I should be an astronaut. I'm always going to be hungry. I've got an airtight approach to both my work and to space travel. I'm an avid reader and my hair looks awesome. And then also, can you tell me how you can handle your manicured nails in space? Yes. I think that astronaut gloves right now are not well equipped in order to handle manicured nails. So I'm going to lead up a program in order to extend the tips of those astronaut gloves so that our nails can remain pristine in space-like settings. Wow. <laughs> You're going to be a beautiful astronaut with your manicured nails and your glorious mane. <laughs> I loved your your use of the metaphors. Always hungry for like excitement or your mission. And exactly. Airtight. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Dave, for applying for this position. You will hear about this. You will hear from us here shortly when this podcast episode comes out. Awesome. Thanks, Dustin. So welcome, Kim. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and why you are qualified to be an astronaut? Absolutely, Dustin. So, you know, sometimes uh, I think my friends and my family would consider um, my personality as prickly, but honestly, it just means I get the job done. There's no room for funny business. I mean, I'm just straightforward. And sometimes that just comes off as just a little, ugh, but you know what? That just means I'm going to be just capable. I'm going to be efficient. I'm going to be, like I said, get the job done. And I have to admit, you probably saw it on my medical records, but I am allergic to everything. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what that means is put me in space, put me in a spacesuit. I'm not allergic to anything because I'm totally just airtight. I mean, nothing's going to get to me. So, I mean, you know, those trees out in my backyard, not there anymore when I'm in space. Uh, dogs, nope, none of that. So I'm, I'm perfect for the job because I am going to get it done, right? And uh, I, I'm not going to be reacting to anything because there's nothing up there. Uh, I also, uh, this is kind of weird to say, but I really like blood. And I mean, I love it. I love it. And so what that means is I'm going to try to hold on to every drop of blood that I have and everyone else's, which means I'm keeping everyone safe. I don't want anyone to get hurt on the job. I want everyone to keep their blood inside their bodies. So number one, safety right here. And lastly, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not going to be consuming all of this, you know, meat uh, you know, actually, well, meat-based diet that uh, everyone thinks they need. Not I. I need to just have some beans, potatoes. I mean, did you see the Martian? Eat some potatoes, right? <laughs> Vegetarian, done. 
easy, quick, and uh, I'll tell you, waste, not a problem, not a problem. So <laughs> I am your astronaut. Hire me. Awesome. And yeah, Martian, I think he just ate potatoes, huh? Is that right? He just ate potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So it's, it sounds like you were made for this job, but I really want to know how are you going to be able to operate a big net in this position? Oh, operate a big net with machinery? <laughs> I mean, again, I'm, I'm smart. I'm going to use my brain. I'm going to get things done. I push some buttons. That's, that's the great thing. Humans created tools. And then I don't need to operate a big net with my arms. I need to operate it with my fingers, right? Pushing some buttons, moving it around, bebopping, right? Awesome. So it, it it does sound like you are you're made for this position, and um and we'll get back to you in a few days, and that's actually like two weeks to be exact when this podcast airs. You'll find out if you earn the position. <laughs> Before you go, though, would you mind letting our listeners know where they can find you and maybe share anything you're working on? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can find me at Tabletop Tolson on YouTube. I have a channel there. I put brand new videos out every Tuesday and Friday at 10 a.m. I've got five different kind of genres of videos that I release. And so there's something for everybody there. I have some really goofy ones. I've got some how-tos. I have my Professor Kim series. And I have things that I just love. It's called My Favorite Thing. And so it just gives me a chance to talk about the coolest thing that I just played and I want to share with you. So yeah, Tabletop Tolson. Also, um, that's my website too. So if you want to go to tabletoptolson.com, yes, that's my channel. That's my that's my page. Awesome. And you can write me there as well. Cool. Yeah. I like I said, I I watched my favorite video was the King's Dilemma video because mm. I had to share it with my King's Dilemma group. We really got into that game too. Awesome. All right, so thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some insights with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. All right, Dave. Yep, Dave, thank you again for coming on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, we'll have some links in the show notes. But again, can you share that with our listeners now too? Sure. So best place to find me is at University XP. Website is universityxp.com. And you can also email me directly. Email address is dave at universityxp.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. Thank you again. Thanks, Dustin. Hi, this message is for Dave. This is a message regarding your application for the position as an astronaut. Unfortunately, we're going to have to pass on your application at this time. We did find someone that was very much suited for space. She has some very strong skill sets and she's allergic to everything. So we really need to get her up there as soon as possible. I think you'll understand it. Thank you again for your application. We hope we can keep in touch and keep you in mind for future positions. Thank you for listening this week. This is our episode that's coming out just before Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If not, Happy Holidays. We really hope you stay healthy and safe during this time. I know it's a very different time for all of us, and I hope you can maybe get some games to the table or computer screens. We will not be back next week. We're going to take a week off between Christmas and the New Year as kind of a break. And then we'll be back in two weeks. So stay tuned for that episode. We're going to finish off the season with a couple different 
types of episodes, some top lists, as well as looking forward to the year 2021 with Board Game with Education. So stay tuned for those. We'll be back in just two weeks. And as always, let me know what you're playing. Reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter. I always post in our Facebook group asking what games you're playing over the weekend. That is game-based learning, gamification, and games and education. Because I think it's really important to play as many games as possible, especially if we want to bring game-based learning into our classrooms or in homes as a part of our learning and teaching environment. All right, so we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.